0: finish it up tonight. And I was so curious, uh, you know, preparing to teach tonight. Uh, will you interact with me a little bit here? Yes? Okay. Uh, this is my question, and, and I, I, I I could, I, honestly, I could change everything based on this. We'll just see what happens. What topic out of First John, if you could pick any, would you want to hear me talk about? All right, we might cover that. Ron wants sin leading to death. Okay. Abiding Abiding in God. You're second that? All right. The Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine. What's that? The The love of God. Oh, yeah. Anything else? Really, what I'm trying to like, just like, search for, mind for here is what are the things that have been sticking out to you as you've been reading through? And these are some awesome ones, except for the two older guys. Those are kind of funny. Anything else? Loving one another. Overcoming sin. Overcoming sin. Awesome. Well, I'm not going to change my topic tonight. I'm not that good of a teacher. I couldn't I, I, I go on the fly like that. So I do have a topic prepared for tonight. But thank you for sharing those. Those are some of the ma- the awesome truths out of 1 John. What we've been doing, the, the organizational structure that we've been using to go through the book of 1 John, is we've been looking at all of the purpose statements that we see in the book of John. Or in other words, those, those statements where he says, I write to you for X reason. We've already done the first three. Tonight we are going to do the last one, which is out of chapter 5, verse 13. So let me read it to you. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Pretty cool. Will this do? Will this work? Might have not been the thing that you wanted to hear tonight, but this is going to be awesome tonight. Um, so tonight, we're going to lay hold of one of the most awesome, powerful, unchanging truths in the gospel, and it's this: that if you believe and Jesus is the Son of God, you have eternal life. There it is. That's all we need to say tonight. God wants believers, he wants you to walk with an understanding that you have eternal life. He wants you to be certain of that. So this sentence is a pretty short sentence, but it's, it's jam-packed full of good stuff. And so the organizational principle for tonight, how I'm going to kind of uh, break this down. Is I'm going to kind of look at the key words in this in this sentence and kind of treat each one at a time. So if you're doing notes, this might be the best way to do it. When we talk about a word, just list the word and underline the word, and then we're going to talk about that word, and then we'll go to the next word. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray and ask God to lead us through His Word. Lord God, we man just we're so thankful, God, we're so humble to be in Your presence tonight. Jesus, we know that you are here in the midst of your people, and that you are the King, that you are the Lord, you are the one that is, is running the show, God, that your spirit is here, and you have powerful things that you want to do in your people, God. And so we submit ourselves to that, God. This Lord, just like stir us up and take our eyes and our hearts and our minds off of things that would that would be confusing or distract us from what you need for your people to hear tonight. God, we want to hear from you. Uh, so that we can be uh, your kingdom, your people in the earth tonight, God. Come uh, give us food tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me read it one more time. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So the first idea or the first word is I. I write. Who is the author? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about John, the disciple of Jesus, the one that was beloved of Jesus. He calls himself the beloved one. The author of this letter is John. And one of the things we know about John is he was initially in Jerusalem, building the church in Jerusalem. But at some point before 70 A.D., when Jerusalem fell to Rome, John left and he moved to a place called Ephesus. Uh, And he lived in Ephesus there. There's a couple of unique things about the way that he writes this book and some way that he, he phrases it. He, you often hear him use the word little children. There's also that section of Scripture where he kind of walks through different age groups. So he says children, young men, fathers. You see how he walks through there? One of the things I think we can, we can understand from this is that at this period in his life, John is an older man, okay? And he's writing to younger believers in the faith. We believe that John wrote this book somewhere between 85 and 90 AD, okay? At this point in his life, John had been through the highs, and he had been through the lows of walking with Jesus Christ, but he had remained faithful. He had been through the fire. He'd seen the fear, he'd seen the victory, and he knew what it was to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Part of what we see in his encouragements and his writings in this book is this a deepness and a simplicity and a stability in the instructions and the encouragement that he gives, and I think in part that comes from the fact that he had lived through. Many little fires, and seen God bring him through each one of those, and so one of the things that happens and it maybe it 's because he's he 's had a lifetime of experience and he 's at age to teach us to him, but he he simplifies everything down to the core issues, the things that are significant eternally. One of the things i don 't know so i 'm forty and i 'm in the middle of building a career and i 'm in the middle of building a family, and one of the things that happens to me a lot, if you 're my age, you may experience this too is I very often get worked up about the challenges that I, whatever the specific challenges are that I'm facing in my life. And I also, I get worked up about theological or cultural issues that are challenged to the church, and and they get inside of me, and I get really worked up about them. But you know what's something that happens sometimes? I will go to some of the older brothers and sisters that are in the church, and I'll describe these, and to me it'll be like, this is the end of the world thing that's going on in my life right now. And I go and I share it to them, and as I sit there and I listen to them speak back to me, as, as they counsel me, this weird thing happens. Like, all of that energy and emotion inside of me begins to slow down, right? And whatever the thing is that I thought was the end of the world, it, it becomes a lot smaller as I listen to them speak from their experience in life. And it's almost like, they, it's, like it's like things pan back out to this kind of mountaintop view and 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 the little things that I think are so significant and crazy gonna turn my world upside down, they, they grow smaller, but but the truths that, that an older brother or sister speaks to me, these big picture truths, they become more important. Like abiding in Christ, like living in fellowship with one another, like declaring the gospel, those bigger issue topics that can control the way that we live our life long-term. I think that's part of what's going on here in 1 John, as we have God using John to declare eternal, significant, long-term truths to these younger believers so that they can endure to the end. We also see, I think, that John has this fervent desire uh, inside of him as he sees this young church that is being just kind of bombarded by the world, by the enemy, uh, that are facing serious doubts about who they are, who God is, what's going on. And, And John has this desire to come in and encourage them and give them strength so that they could go through the fire and that they could endure to the end. One of the awesome things to think about is that John was there when Jesus said this, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. It's pretty awesome. I think he sees the church and he sees them struggling and he wants to impart encouragement and truth into their life so that they can endure to the end. I write. All right, second, these things. I write these things. What are these things? Well, I I sensed over the last couple weeks a little bit of frustration reading through this book just because of the, the way that the book is laid out, the way that it's organized. But this letter is full of often repeated statements, wisdoms, encouragements, and understandings. And sometimes... If you notice, sometimes the statements are, like, really general, somewhat undefined. Sometimes they seem circular. Sometimes they seem vague or ambiguous. And it's hard to really pin down what John is saying in each of the statements. But these things, these things that John is writing, we know that he's writing them, at least in part, to communicate this truth that when we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. But just one, one quick point that I wanna make on this, and we'll come back to this at the end. I think, it's be, I think it would be good for, for you to realize that virtually, well I'd say at least 90% of the people in this room tonight, you have undergone a college education, at least undergraduate, possibly even a graduate degree, And as you did that, you were indoctrinated into a way of understanding or receiving truth. And it was very textbook-oriented. It was very analytical, it was very logical presentation of the truth. I want to suggest that John is not necessarily doing that in this book, structuring his impartation of truth as a textbook would, or as a college course would do that. Many of his statements, I don't think, are a comprehensive description of a certain topic in an A plus B equals C manner. A lot of his statements are left ambiguous, and they're broad, and they're mysterious. But it's not unintentional that he does that. I want you to keep in mind, the point of the Word of God is for God to impart deep spiritual truths into our souls. Okay, it's God communicating what he knows that we need to know to us. So, I just want to say this. Don't try to cram this book into a textbook format like the way that you learned algebra Allow God to speak to you in some ways that may be a little uncomfortable, that you might not be able to define exactly, but know that in a sense God is communicating deep spiritual truth to you. All right, so these things. The next one that I want to I want to pull out is you. The next word will be you. You who believe in the name of the Son of God. What does the you mean here? Who is the you here? If you zero in on just this sentence and you look just at this sentence, you'd see that John is writing to anyone who believes in Jesus as the Son of God. So that's broadly to any Christian, any person that would profess to be someone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. But if you look at the context of who he's writing this book to in particular, we believe he's writing this book probably to the church in Ephesus, possibly also, do you remember the book of Revelations? He actually wrote to a bunch of different churches in different towns there, but they were all in this this area around Ephesus. The others were Smyrna, Pergamum, Theratia, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, the churches named in the book of Revelations. But, he, but he's, he's, he's most likely preaching to the church in 85 to 90 A.D. in this area in close to Ephesus. Something else that I think we can make an inference about. If John is writing to this church to encourage them that they do, in fact, have eternal life, I think one of the inferences that we can make is that this is a group of people that needed to hear that. They needed to hear that they had eternal life. And so maybe another way of saying that is, to some degree, he's writing to a group of people who had doubts about whether or not believing in the Son of God brought them eternal life. We can actually look at the text, and we can look through this book and see some of the reasons that might have brought doubt to this group of people. One of the things we know is that some of the people that were in their fellowship, that were in their church, had left. Okay, so if this was the church at Ephesus, this is actually something that's pretty neat. If you read in Acts 19, we know that Paul most likely established the church in Ephesus around 52 AD. So if John is then writing to them in, what do we say, 85 to 90, this church is roughly 35 to 40 years old, which is pretty similar to our church. But if you look in chapter 2, verse 19, John makes this statement that they went out from us that it might become plain that they were not of us. So it appears that there were people that were part of this church, that were integrated relationally, that were part of the fellowship that the rest of the church believed was part of them, that they all believed that they were on mission together to see the kingdom of God come, and they left, and they deserted. In fact, If you read that section in chapter 2, it sounds like these people begin to believe something different about the nature and character of Jesus Christ. And they begin to reject the truth of Jesus being the Son of God. They begin to reject the truth that Jesus brought salvation and they left the church. I don't know if you have ever been in a relationship with somebody like this where you built your life together with somebody uh, and you committed yourself to a long-term relationship where you were going to build the kingdom of God together with them, and at some point in that person's life, they begin to look at the world in a very different way, and they begin to reject the church, they begin to reject you, they begin to reject Jesus as the Son of God, and they broke apart that relationship that you had established together with them. If you've ever been through that it is a very doubt-creating situation when somebody that has experienced the same things you have experienced about the Son of God, that committed themselves to the same things that you were doing, when they begin to doubt who Jesus is and they begin to reject Jesus and walk away, it raises a lot of doubts in your head. Like, if, I, if that guy experienced the same things that I experienced, why is he leaving is what I'm doing the truth. This is one thing. Another thing is that we also learned that in chapter 2, 25, John says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. We talked about this last week. But this church was in the middle of experiencing some false teachings uh, that were sprouting up in the church. And like we said before, most of these revolved around the nature of Jesus Christ, who he was, what salvation was, how you would come to salvation. And these thoughts, were they were very deceptive uh, in the sense that they had some of the same aspects that the believers believed about truth and righteousness and who God was. But there were small differences that eroded the truth of who Jesus Christ was. And so this is a group of people that were facing these heretical ideas, and they were bringing in doubt to the church about who Jesus was. And did what Jesus do on the cross really change anything? Third, in chapter three thirteen, it says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. This is also a group of people that if they were living in Ephesus, they were living in the middle of a culture that was actually pretty wealthy, had a pretty advanced economy, and it actually had a very uh, kind of unique worship of deities in that town. And and when the people of God chose not to be part of those secular pagan ways of life, we know actually, you know, Paul was part of this, the people of Ephesus and the surrounding communities began to persecute them. So most likely this church... uh, was being bombarded with persecution, with rejection, with people saying, you guys are crazy. You don't know what you're doing. You're living a very different way than everyone else is around you. And we don't like it, getting that on a constant uh, basis. That's going to stir up doubt in their minds. We also know that there was internal strife, like the fellowship that this church was engaging in. There were rifts in it. There were brothers that were hating other brothers. And we know that there was sin being committed uh, in the church. We don't know what it was specifically, uh, but that we know that they were sinning against one another. Right? This would be another reason to really doubt this whole idea, right? That like God has called us to be His people in the earth, to love one another. And here in our very midst, the people who have called Jesus the Son of God, They're at odds with one another. So this is the group of Christians that John is writing to, and they are under attack from all sides, both externally but also internally. And they were facing some things that were causing very real doubt in their hearts about who Jesus was and whether or not who Jesus was in their hearts brought about this thing called eternal life. Well, John, like a father, right, he comes in, he reaches out to these believers by the way of a letter, and he, and he wants to confirm a very simple truth. And it's that when you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you have eternal life. Okay, our next word is Belief. It says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. John tells us that it's belief in Jesus that brings about eternal life. So what does it mean when John says believe? That's pretty important, right? Well, there's kind of this wild verse that we got to talk about. and It's in the book of James. And this is what it says. It says, you Believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So I use this as a starting point, because I want to, I want to get at this, this point. I want to clarify that, that belief in Jesus, what John's talking about here in terms of belief in Jesus, uh, is not just a mental assent to a propositional truth, okay? It's not like saying, like, I agree with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That's not what we're talking about right here. It's something more than that. Interestingly enough, John uses the word belief 100 times in his gospel, and he uses it 10 times in this letter, and the word is pisteo, and it does and can mean knowledge of a thing. Or to think something to be true. But it also means more than that. It means to place trust in. Or entrust something to. I like that. To place trust in or entrust something to. And I think this is a really good definition of the, what, what, what John is talking about when he's talking about belief in this situation. He's talking about people entering into a trust relationship with Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's a belief, yes, that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. But it's combined with a lifestyle of trusting Jesus to lead you, to guide you, to provide for you, to care for you, to be everything for you in life. Okay? And... Yes, this is simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's a simple act of belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And it's what causes us to partake in this thing called eternal life. And so, and so this is the point. Once you entrust yourself, once you enter into this kind of relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the moment that you enter into this thing called eternal life. Another way that he puts it is that when you receive Jesus and you put your trust completely in him, you are born again, right? Remember from the book of John with Nicodemus? You're born again, and you enter into this new kind of life, a totally new way of life, and you become a son or a daughter of the God creator of heaven and earth. And when this happens, you get connected to your Father in heaven. A a relational bond is created between you and your Father in heaven. And it results in a, a dynamic outpouring of life from heaven into you in the earth. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that the only way to receive eternal life is through him. This also means that there is nothing more. There is no second step, thing that you need to do over and above, simply believing in Jesus Christ. This is what causes eternal life to flow into us and out of this. So this is the truth. If you are engaged in this kind of trust, relationship with jesus christ as the son of god you as you're sitting in your chair right now you have eternal life amen okay so as we said before there's some false teachings going around the time that there were other ways to attain eternal life outside of jesus or maybe beyond jesus or in addition to jesus john is explicitly rejecting those ideas he's saying no there's nothing else there's nothing in addition And he's bringing everyone back to this simple truth. You need to have a trust relationship with Jesus. And if you do, you have eternal life. I don't care what these other guys are saying. Some of it might sound philosophically sound. Some of it might sound kind of interesting to dabble in this other stuff. But church, listen to this. You just need to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So it's pretty cool. John's such an amazing guy i think he anticipates what i think maybe some of you are your next question what you're going to ask okay okay so we believe in god but how do i how do i know <laughs> how do i know if i'm actually believing in god that's kind of like a subjective idea believing in god something that is going on like on internally in me so how do i really know if i believe in god and and this too like when 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 life gets messy when things you know come at me and I begin to experience doubt like things get fuzzy about what I do and I don't believe it's so precious talking to my my daughter I asked her the other day if she loved God and she said dad I don't know if I love God how do I know if I really love God she's so analytical she wants she's like I want to love God but I don't know if I really do how do I know if I do that So John, I think, anticipates this, and he sprinkles throughout this book all of these other no verses, right? So one of the things we know about people who believe in Jesus Christ, there's certain fruit that comes when you believe, when you are connected with Jesus Christ, when you allow him to lead your life. There's certain fruit that comes as a result of that relationship, okay? And what John does here is he says, hey, listen we can look and we can see some of the fruit that comes as a result of believing in Jesus and that can give you evidence that can help you fill out this idea it's not more than belief it's it's the fruit of belief but it help you understand and confirm in your hearts people that there is indeed a god and he is living inside of you and you have eternal life right here right now i think a lot of people look at the book of first john and it kind of it kind of Weirds them out because they think it's this, like, critical list of all the things, the ways of knowing that people aren't really Christians. Like, you're not a Christian if you're sinning. You're not a Christian if you're not walking in the light. If you've lied to anybody in the last year, you're not a Christian. But you can look at it a different way. You can look at it like, no, you're a Christian because you've been walking in the light with the people around you. You're a Christian because you love the people around you. And like when you see somebody that needs something, you give stuff to them. Let's look at some of these. I've got four of them that I want to talk about. The first one is 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We're going to tackle the, the sin one first. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. One of the evidences that belief in Jesus produces eternal life is so awesome. One of the evidences that, that just, and when we believe in Jesus, we are starting to receive eternal life is this, transformed lives. John explains, like, before, before we begin to believe in Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, we were stuck in sin. And, like, the enemy could do whatever he wanted. The evil guy... He could do whatever he wanted with us. We had no protection from the enemy. But when we begin to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior comes and transforms our hearts. And he gives us the power to walk free of sin. We can stop sinning. And he protects us from the evil one who is trying to put stumbling blocks in our way. When I look around this room... When I look at my own shoes, I'm like giving glory to God. Because there are so many testimonies in this room where we were stuck in like pretty gross situations. Like we had messed things up, we were walking in sin. And now I'm looking at people who, when they face those same temptations and those same sins, they are victorious over them. They don't succumb to them. You know why? It's because they believe in Jesus, because Jesus protects them. From walking in those sins anymore. Jesus is a king. He has redeemed us and he has set us free. So the conclusion that you can take from this is that glory to God. When we believe in Jesus, eternal life begins to take root in our lives. You can also see this in 1 John 2, 3 and 5, 2, but it just says, keep his commandments. Number two, 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Another fruit of believing in Jesus is that we overcome the world. You can cross reference to chapter 2, verse 16 to help understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the world. It says, For all this is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it is of the world. You guys, there's this whole world system. It's like all around us. And everything revolves around satisfying the flesh. Now, I think we can. you can describe it. It's not completely described by this, but you can get a pretty good hold on it when you think about kind of the consumer mentality that drives everything around us, it just dominates our culture. We live to consume. We want to feed the desires of our flesh and our eyes. We want to see our pride extended, right? Getting like a successful, attractive husband, getting the perfect career, going on luxurious vacations, having an awesome dinner that you can Instagram to your followers, having more, well, having more TikTok followers than anybody else in the room. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't do TikTok, but I know that's important. <laughs> All these things feed our flesh and our eyes and our pride. Well, one of the amazing things that happens, I mean, you guys got to, you know, you've got to step back for a second and think about this because you kind of haven't been walking dominated in that culture. But one of the amazing things that happens when you begin to believe in Jesus Christ is there's like this escape hatch from that cycle of living to those things. Like Jesus gives us an off-ramp. You know, we're like on I-75 looking for the rest of the know. He gives us the off-ramp. The people of God, people who believe in Jesus Christ, they somehow get disentangled from that, and they are transformed to be able to have lives that aren't connected from whatever the g- gift is this year for Christmas, that we have got to get your kids. But the focus becomes this. I want to see God glorified. I want to give my resources to other people. I want to lay down my life. I want to take the worst seat at the table. This happens to the people of God who believe in Jesus. This is another evidence that eternal life is taking shape among the people of God. Glory to God. Number three, 1 John 4.13. You can also see it in 3.24. It's almost the exact same phrase. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Man, we cannot... Underemphasize this. Another fruit of believing in Jesus, he talks about it to his disciples. When I'm leaving, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, who will be the comforter. There is a tangible presence of the Holy Spirit among the people who believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and he convicts, he speaks knowledge and truth, he comforts us, he gives us peace. His very presence is here and it is an evidence that eternal life is taking place among the people of God. The Spirit is also awesome in the sense that, like, it's not just you, but as you live together with other people that also believe in God, there's a fruit of the Spirit that's diverse in its giftings among us. Number four, 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. I think I've left the best for last. Another fruit, and this is maybe the most important fruit of believing in Jesus. It's the one that God wants for us the most. It's the one that people want the most when you look around you. It's the thing that people desire the most. It's the thing that John talks about the most in this book, and is this. You can have deep, meaningful, loving relationship with your brothers and your sisters when you believe in Jesus. And that's what it takes, okay? It takes trusting in Jesus, allowing him to change who you are, allowing his spirit to lead you. And when you do that, you can love the people around you. Everybody wants this. Just look around you. God is creating deep fellowship here in this place because People are trusting in Jesus and building their lives together. That is a most powerful evidence that eternal life is taking place in the earth. And, and it's not just that's not just encouragement for you, but if you remember back in the book of John, I think it's chapter 13, he says, like, this is how people, this is how people outside of the church are gonna know that you're my disciples. It's that you love one another. Okay? This is an awesome piece of eternal life taking shape here in us today. Okay, belief, the next thing that you may know. No is that our next one. No is the is the critical word in this verse. John's not just writing this so that you would so that you'd understand that when you believe no, I didn't say that right. Let me say this the right way. John's not saying when you believe, you will have eternal life. He's saying you can know that when you believe, you have eternal life. This is the critical verb in this statement. You can know, you can have knowledge, you can be certain of the fact that's what's significant to John here that's what he's trying to communicate not just that belief equals eternal life it's you can know that you have eternal life right here right now the word for know is edo means to perceive something or understand something with the eyes and to experience a state or condition it's used 15 times in the book of 1 John it's used 5 times right around this verse 5.13 that we're talking about. John wants us to understand something. He wants us to know something. There may be, and some for some of you scholars, there may be some intentional purpose for using this word know because we know, we're, pretty, we, we're, we're pretty certain that there was this heresy going on at the time called Gnosticism. Gnosis in the Greek means knowledge. So this is this group of people that had this belief that like, Knowledge is inside of you. Understanding truth is inside of you. Jesus is not God, but he's like a guide to help you find that truth inside of you. And it's that truth inside of you that will bring you salvation. That's what some of these churches were dealing with probably. So what John is doing is he is trying to present this understanding of knowledge, this right understanding of knowledge, against this false understanding of what knowledge is. And I want you to look at verses 9 and 12 in chapter 5. I'll read it for you. It says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God, oh sorry, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So here's what John's saying. Let's break it down. He says God has borne a testimony, or or in other words, God has spoken about Jesus. And specifically what he said about Jesus is that God the Father has given us life in Jesus. God has said this. And what what John is saying is that it's this testimony of God. That is how we know. The way that we know in a really deep way that there is eternal life in Jesus, it comes from the revelation of the word of God into our hearts. That's how you can know this. It doesn't come from inside of you. A deep understanding of the reality and the truth of the way that the world works for the people of God comes from this revelation from an all-knowing God into our hearts. That's what we're seeking. That's what John is trying to give them. He's not giving them a textbook, but he's trying to impart this knowledge. God has declared it, and it is true. And it's unique here because he says, the way that God gave that testimony, how did he give the testimony? How did he tell us this? He sent Jesus into the earth to live a perfect life, to die and be resurrected on the cross. So it's like this double whammy thing here. How do we get eternal life? Jesus Christ. How do we know that when we believe in him, we get eternal life? It's because God the Father revealed it to our hearts through the logos, through the word of God in sending Jesus into the earth. I'll just add to that. We have confirmation of this truth by way of the fruit that we just talked about, that we see in our lives. Okay, so with all this focus on knowledge, I want you to ask yourself, why is it important for us to know this? Why is it so important? Why does John want us to be able to know that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, I think it's an amazing revelation of the nature, the relational nature of the heart of God. This is the kind of God that we have. He wants us to be a people. He wants us to be sons and daughters who walk in a certainty of knowing that we are his children. That we have been transformed, that we will be with him eternally. He wants to, to us to live our lives like that. He doesn't want us to go through life with an anxiety of wondering what's going to happen in the end. But as a loving father, he wants us to know that we are his. We have been adopted. We are completely in. There's nothing left for us to do. We are the family of God, and we don't worry from day to day whether or not we've done enough to get in. We are his. <clears throat> I'm running out of time, but I just got to tell you this one story. I, just so you get a sense of what I'm talking about here. So, I do real estate closings. I did a real estate closing last week, and it was a $2 million real estate closing. So, while I do everything. Everything comes through me in my office. And I went to the closing table, and I did everything. I'm supposed to collect uh, the buyer's money. I walk out of there, and on the way out of there, after everyone has left, they're like from Lebanon. I walk out of there, and I realize. I neglected to get $50,000 from the buyer, and I walk out, and I don't know them. And so I call them immediately. No answer. For like 24 hours, no answer. I don't know these people. If I don't get that $50,000, it's coming out of my pocket. Can I tell you, like, the anxiety (laughs) in my stomach? Like, I was hoping for a Christmas bonus this year. And I was terrified for like a day and a half. God doesn't want us to be uncertain about the outcome of our lives. He, he, is, he is a good dad that wants us to know that we are loved. It's not performative. Second, when we know who we are and where we're going, it gives us a power and a strength to the, be the people that God has called us to be. When we know that we have eternal life, when we know where we're going to end up, we can face the trials that God has called us to in life. And we can lay down our lives in ways that we wouldn't otherwise be able to because we know we are in the family. I can give away my resources because I know that I have eternal life. I don't have to worry about myself anymore. All right, the last one, and we're almost done, is eternal life. So what is this thing, eternal life, that we get when we believe in Jesus? I think we've talked a lot about it already. And maybe my the structure, of the way I'm doing the teaching, isn't perfect for this. But eternal life, one thing I want to say about eternal life. So it, it does mean eternity is in kind of, it's a sense, it's a, it's a temporal thing. It's a measure of time, right? Eternity. And what it means is forever, never ending, always been here. And so in a sense, when we say, when we believe in Jesus, we're going to enter into eternal life, it does mean that we get to live forever, which is pretty awesome. I like that. Um, but that's only part of this concept of eternal life, Okay. I want, to, I want to you know, point out that if you look at the, the totality of Scripture and you think about the, the term eternal life, what are we talking about? It's not just quantitative. It's qualitative. Eternal life is a different way of living. Right? We talked about being dead and being born again. When you enter into eternal life, It changes the way that you live. So when we talk about eternal life, maybe the best way to describe eternal life is to look at the relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have had for eternity and to think about what that relationship is like, the way that they interrelate to one another. That's what we're talking about. When we enter into eternal life here in the earth, It's the Trinity way of life coming down into the earth and taking place amongst us. That's the power of this. Like, it's not just we're living forever. It's we're living a new way of life because we have a new Father. We have a spirit living inside of us. We have the Son of God protecting us from the enemy. I think that's pretty sweet. Another common misconception about eternal life is like eternal life is something that you have to wait for until you die. It's like what happens when you go to heaven, and that's eternal life. So the idea being that when you believe in Jesus, that means that when you die, you're going to get to go to heaven. Well, did you read those things that John was saying about the ways that we know that we've been born again? What we see is that it doesn't start when we go to heaven. It starts right here. It starts right now. The moment you begin to believe in Jesus Christ, eternal life. You, be, you, you enter in to that eternal life way of living. Amen? So eternal life, two things. One, it begins right now, and it's a, it's a new way of life. Amen? There we go. Uh, application real quick. Uh, can I admit to you that I have doubts about eternal life? And I think just like those people in Ephesus or whoever it was that John was writing to, we're a church and I think we face a lot of the attacks of the enemy that wants to sow doubt into our hearts about eternal life. I made up a list of things that I think maybe just from my own experience are things that cause doubt about eternal life. Maybe you've recently committed something that you knew was a sin. You knew it hurt the heart of God and your conscience is tearing you up about it. Maybe the enemy is tearing you up about it and you doubt eternal life. Maybe you're experiencing like one of those dry periods in your life where you don't love reading the Word of God and you don't like talking to Him in the morning or in the evening and you don't feel like he ever talks back to you. And you feel like, I don't know if I'm really experiencing eternal life. Maybe you're not getting, like, the particular blessings that you think should come along with walking with Jesus. Maybe you're not progressing in your career the way you want to. Maybe you haven't found your spouse. Maybe you're, you're really struggling in making disciples. Maybe you've experienced some pain in your life recently. Maybe you've been sick or you've, you've experienced personal failure where you weren't who you wanted to be. Maybe, you know, you're at school or at work and people are confronting you with like serious philosophical objections and questions about who Jesus really is and what salvation is. And those things are sticking in your head. Uh, and they're bringing about doubt. Maybe you're facing relational conflicts in the church that you don't think you can get beyond. Maybe (laughs) you—I got a little bit of this right now. Maybe you're enduring, like, people uh, in the community or at your work, like, ridiculing your faith uh, and objecting to, like, the ways you've decided to live your life. And those things, those decisions that you've made don't make as much sense as they used to make when you, when you first made them. Well, here, I want you to know this. If you're in any of those situations or different situations causing doubt, I want you to know that God wants you to know that if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent, You have eternal life right now. At the beginning, I just want to say this, at the beginning I talked about kind of academic knowledge. We we kind of talked a little bit about knowledge that comes from like within somewhere. Those kinds of knowledges, I'm an academic guy, so I'm not downplaying academic knowledge, but those kinds of knowledge, they're incomplete Uh, and they can easily be tossed aside. In fact, You could listen to everything that I said tonight. You could read all the words in the scriptures. But you could forget them tomorrow. Or you could come up with some better ideas tomorrow and discard the ones that I gave you. But there is a kind of knowledge, there is a kind of understanding that comes from the revelation of the Word of God, the Logos of God. It comes directly from God by His Spirit Inspiring the word into your heart. And that kind of knowledge, that kind of understanding, it brings about a certainty, an unshakableness. It's something that you can build your entire life on. And, and that is what, what God wants to communicate to your heart in regards to this. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And you can bet everything, everything that you own, everyone that you love, you can bet it all on that fact. That you have eternal life. Amen? Do we want to close in worship? We have time? Let's do it.